Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. A lot of times when you come to church in the new year, uh, you kind of come in expecting to get beat up, right? Uh, Because it's New Year's resolution time, it's commitment time, it's big, big, uh, big dive into all the things you're supposed to do and you drop the ball in last year time. And so I found a uh, comic strip from, it's kind of an old school, but uh, comic, but this was a really good one. But I found one this week that I thought really fit kind of the new year. Uh, Calvin and Hobbes, one of my favorites. Calvin's got his little booth there and he's set up and for $1, he was willing to give you a swift kick in the butt just to help you get moving and get going. You notice what Hobbes says, he says, how's business? He says, well, terrible. Well, that's hard to believe. I can't understand it, he says. Now, why does it that Calvin understands? He says, everybody I know needs what I'm selling. Uh, do you ever feel like that in life? You look around like everyone around me needs to get their act together. I don't understand why they're not running up and asking for a little bit of help down the road. And churches, I think a lot of times act like that's the way or act like Calvin in that. Like you come in here and we're gonna kind of give you a swift little kick and kind of get your pants uh, in the pants and get you moving down the road the way you need to go and get the ship righted. Um, But I'm not really sure that's a very helpful approach. Uh, There may be some truth in that, but but I'm not sure it's the most helpful approach. Uh, If I wanted to guilt trip you, I could just show you a picture of an empty gym, right? I mean, because that, that, you see all those, those all over advertisements everywhere. It's like, hey, you haven't been here in 11 months. Why don't you come back for four weeks? And then in February, we'll empty out again. But uh, New Year's resolution time, oftentimes it's just a, a kind of a guilt fest for a lot of us, where you look back and go, look, let me list all the ways I failed. And let me recommit to all the ways I'm going to fail again next year and feel guilty somehow in between. And maybe there are going to be some changes. Maybe there's some new things that we want to do. Um, but if you've ever dealt with a guilt trap, and I wanna encourage you today, that's really not what we're about, not what we wanna be, uh, be about as a church family, but we do wanna invite you in and take advantage of the turn of the calendar year to just ask you, and is God stirring something in your heart? Is there something that, that the Lord wants to do in you in this next year? And so uh, we're gonna dive into in this series, you can understand the Bible. Uh, we're gonna be looking at Second Chronicles, this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, take that out and turn to Second Chronicles. Now, for some of you, it may have been some time since you've been in Second Chronicles. Uh, for some of you, this may be breaking open pages that have never been pulled apart before. Uh, this may be, we may be christening new territory. So let me encourage you and just help you out. If you're not sure where to find Second Chronicles, it's right after First Chronicles. Um, so hopefully that's helpful and you can find it. Uh, if you can't, table of contents is always available and there's no Uh, Nothing wrong with that, so feel free to look at that. What we're gonna see today is that your spiritual health, growth, and joy is connected to your regular investment in the Bible. Your spiritual health, growth, and joy is is connected to your regular investment in God's word. And so as we begin to look at that, one of the things I know as we begin a new year is it's oftentimes we reset and try to set priorities. And setting priorities is one of the hardest things we do. Do you know one of the, most overlooked and most avoided priorities that you need to set is for yourself. It is to focus on yourself. So oftentimes we think of all the things we need to do, 
But you know the greatest gift that you can give to those around you is a healthy you who's surrendered to God and who's willing to do whatever it is Jesus asks you to do in the year ahead. That's the greatest gift you can give to your family. It's the greatest gift you can give to your spouse. It's actually the greatest gift you can give to uh, those you work with and those in our city. It's important for us to realize that we need to, uh, we need to take care of ourselves. As one guy said, we need to ensure that we possess a sufficient inner journey of life so that our outer journey of life flows from a deep life with Jesus. We need to ensure that there's something deep internally happening so that, we can, so that we can successfully navigate the external stuff that's gonna happen. And the only way that, that truly happens in the life of a believer is if somehow you're connected to the life of Jesus. You know, when you get on an airplane, what's the thing that the stewardess always says? And they have a little mask, it's gonna drop down if you have an emergency. And what does she always say? Who, who gets it first? You do, put it on yourself first. and. You, you know the speech, right? Like we could all give the speech, which is why we ignore it, which is why they have to say it every time. Now, why do they say that every single time we get on an airplane? Because it's really counterintuitive. Because whenever you're in crisis, whenever you're in a, in a moment of urgency, your first instinct is gonna be to help someone else and you don't want to initially help yourself. But what we've learned over time is if you can't breathe, you're not gonna be able to help someone else breathe for very long as well. Do you know the same is true spiritually? We're all dependent upon God. We're dependent upon the Lord for our, for our spiritual lives, for our well-being. And we are, are connected to him in such a way that it needs to be like oxygen for our souls. And when we don't connect with the Lord, when we're not connected to the oxygen mask of his word and of, in, in prayer and in time with him, and it's not very, it doesn't take very long before you start to lose energy, before you start to feel depleted, before you start to need some help. Here's what's tricky, I think. Do you know in the suburbs, most of us tend to think we got it going okay. I was reading this week and it was saying, if you, know, if you, if you look at the, the dependence upon the Bible in different, different groups around the world, if you look in urban culture, you look in rural culture, you look in suburban culture, where is the one place that, uh, that, that least is, is least likely to depend on the scriptures? It's actually in the suburbs. In the city and in the rural areas, they're more dependent upon the scriptures than they are in the burbs. Why is that? Because I think generally speaking in the burbs, we think we're doing okay. In the suburbs, we, we live in a place that's very busy. It's very comfortable. It's very competitive. And so as we're pushing forward in life, none of us or very few of us feel dependent. We feel fairly self-sufficient. And yet when you look at the Bible, what you see is, I mean, we're all totally dependent upon the Lord. But isn't it interesting that we feel less dependent and we're less driven to depend upon the Bible in the suburbs than in other places in our country? You know what that means? That means we need even more to develop a, a deep habit of running the Lord and seeking Him and, and learning to put on the oxygen mask of time with the Lord and time in God's Word. So we're going to be in Second, uh, Second Chronicles chapter 34. Uh, and so if you've got your Bibles and you've been able to find that, and we are going to look... Uh, really had a broad spectrum and run through this story. We're gonna look at the story of a young man named Josiah. And Josiah was king of the southern part of Israel named Judah and became king at the ripe old age of eight years old. We got any eight-year-olds in here? Anyone about eight years old? How old are you guys? You're nine. Okay, so Josiah was about your age and he became king. Would you like to be king? 
No, smart man. You worked on that. I, I like that. So you already got plans. You're thinking ahead. Um, that's good. Josiah became king at the, at the ripe old age of eight. And he, he inherited a kingdom that was in a lot of turmoil and a lot of trouble. It actually was divided. There was, uh, the nation of Israel was divided amongst two different groups and had been through uh, really a, a split. And they had wandered away from the Lord. They were not walking with the Lord. They were not worshiping the Lord as they were intended. And Josiah's father had been instrumental in their downfall and actually created part of the problem. And so you see Josiah coming into this kingdom and taking over. And very quickly, you see at the age of eight, he's become king. Skip down to verse three. So Second Chronicles 34, verse three, it says in the eighth year of his reign. So if he started at eight and he's in the eighth year of his reign, what year is he in? How old is he? And you guys are sharp. You guys are smart. This is good. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy. Sorry, 16 year olds. I know you think you're a man, but it's Bible. Hey, said you're still a boy. Uh, I've got a couple 16-year-olds in my house, so, man, it's tough, isn't it? In the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. At 16, it says he began to seek, um, to seek God. And it's, a, it's an interesting thing when you think about uh, someone who's coming into uh, an area of responsibility and they're growing up and they're moving into life. And as they do, the responsibilities that Josiah felt probably earlier than some of us feel. But, and I, you know, there's those times in life where you go through those kind of milestone moments when you're getting ready to go off to college, when you're getting ready to choose a major, when you're getting ready to choose a major a second time, when you're gonna choose a major a third time, when you actually graduate, when you take your first job, when you cross over the threshold into marriage or having a kid or you hit these milestones, it makes you realize that there's needs in your life and you start to think, maybe I don't have it all together. Maybe I am dependent. Maybe I need the Lord to do something. And so at least we ought to seek the Lord as Josiah did. And you see that he began to seek the Lord. I mean, there's a blessing here of an early commitment to the Lord, isn't there? Students, think about this. He was, he was your age. And yet it was known of him that something shifted and he began to have a spiritual thirst and a, a hunger and a desire to grow in spiritual things and to grow in his relationship with, with the Lord. And, and I wanna encourage you, you don't have to wait. You can seek him right now, right where you are. You can be the, the catalyst as Josiah was that actually breaks up the complacency of entire groups of people. Josiah broke up the complacency of a nation. And it began when he was 16 years old, personally desiring a relationship with the Lord and to seek him. And we also see Josiah probably had significant influence from his, his mother. His father had died at an early age. And we know enough about his father's character to know that was not a healthy role model for him. But his mother's spiritual influence likely was significant in terms of his nurturing and, develop, and spiritual development. But see, what I know about us, all of us in this room come, come from different places. Some of you have walked with the Lord for a really long time. Some of you aren't even sure you wanna walk with the Lord and you're just trying to figure this thing out for the first time. Some of you come from a place and you've got an incredibly deep, rich spiritual heritage. Some of you look back and there's not a spiritual role model in your family tree for as far back as 23andMe or whatever the, the ancestry.com or any one of those things you take would show you, you can't find a spiritual leader or hero or a good example anywhere in your family tree. But what we see here is that 
there's an opportunity for all of us to seek the Lord. Then none of us uh, really, um, none of us can, can uh, are, limb, are kept away from the ability to seek the Lord. You know, for Josiah, I think one of the things I see is the best time to seek the Lord is right now. So wherever you've been in life, uh, whether you've sought him before, whether you've never sought him before, the best time for you to seek the Lord is today. And Josiah one day woke up and said, okay, I'm gonna begin to seek, get, seek the Lord, and he did. So what did it mean? We oftentimes think of seeking the Lord as a time where we mentally kind of get a, an understanding of who God is or what the spiritual life is really about. And I think one of the things you see from Josiah is it wasn't just that he was trying to figure out intellectually something, but there, there was a sense in which his life and his heart became open to trusting the Lord at a deeper level, to understanding who God was, to understanding the reality of, 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 of the God who created him and understanding what God wants from us as his creatures, as those who are made to worship him. And it's not a one-time thing. I love that he began to seek the Lord. He didn't just seek the Lord and it was done. It was part of a journey. It was part of a process. This was the start of something that he was entering into. So whenever we begin to seek the Lord, one of the things that happens is it initially starts out with something we sense a need typically in ourselves. But what happens is pretty quickly, our, our view shifts from ourself to God and we wanna to begin to live for God's sake. You start out saying, I need God for my sake. And pretty quickly you go, Lord, what can I do for your sake? Because you realize who the Lord is and what he's created you to do and what you wanna be. And so I think the first lesson we see from the life of Josiah is that we're called to live for God's sake. Uh, God, as Israel went uh, in, in the Old Testament, one of the things we see is you've got this scenario where Josiah is a king. And in Israel, the way God had, had made Israel as his people is that as the king went, so the nation went. That the king always set the pace. And so pace of the leader set the pace of the team. And so Josiah really began to clean house. And as he did, he began to look at it. So he went up and all the false worship uh, areas they went. He began to tear down all the wrong things they began to do. He began to reform. And he became a reformer throughout the nation, trying to help uh, really instill a heart for God within the people of God, the Israelites. Um, in addition to that, the temple had fallen into disrepair. They had actually bailed on the temple. They'd invited false worshipers in the temple. And so the place that for the Israelites should have been the most sacred, most holy, most, uh, most devoted place for them to worship had actually become corrupted. And so he set about trying to, one, remove the stuff that shouldn't have been there, restore the stuff that should have been there, and actually raise some money and rebuild some stuff and got things moving the way it needed to go. And so you get down into a couple verses later in Second Chronicles 34, and here's really the crux of the passage for today. Some amazing, something astounding is about to happen. In verse eight, actually, we're gonna go back to verse seven. Josiah says, it says, in this house and in Jerusalem, I'm sorry, verse eight, now in the 18th year of his reign, and so uh, how old is he? He was eight when he took over. I'm not, I'm an English major. I can't really do this. You gotta help me. 26, accountants got me. All right, he's 26 years old. So he's moving into his, his reign. He's in the 18th year of his reign. When he had cleansed the land and the house, he sent Shapham, the son of Azaliah, of Mahasiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord. That's a lot of stuff on a lot of people. Basically, the people that worked for him, he sent in to try to restore the temple and make things the way it was supposed to be. 
They came to Hilkiah the high priest and gave him the money that God had brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the keepers of the threshold, had collected from all these people, down in verse 10. And they gave it to the workmen who were working on the house of the Lord. And the workmen who were working in the house gave it to repairing and restoring the house. So they'd done this big project. They'd gone through this restoration. Uh, if any of you had to do a remodel of your house, you know the mess that it is when you have to remodel? And you usually have to go into a room. You have to move everything out of that room, begin to tear down walls, plasters everywhere. Things are just a train wreck. And what's happening in the temple is it's a train wreck and there's workers all over the place in the middle of uh, this, this repair project. And skip down to verse 14. Here's what's amazing. While they're bringing out the money they had brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Hilkiah answered Shaphan and said, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan. And Shaphan took the book to the king and further reported all that your servants had committed they were doing. They found the Bible in the temple. God's people. God's people that he had created. God's people that he had called out. God's people that with Abraham, he had promised that I will make you a people. Uh, the God's people that had gone into Egypt and been, uh, been, been captured by Pharaoh and God had sent Moses in to rescue them and deliver them out of Egypt. And God, uh, God's people that God had given the law to, uh, given it to Moses on top of the mountain and entered a covenant with them and told them of his love for them and told them of his care for them and told them of his expectations for them and his desires for them. And they had written all this down in the book of the law and they had lost it. Now for an Israelite, this would have been utterly astounding. You wonder why they were a spiritual wasteland? They, they had lost the word of the Lord. They lost the Bible. They didn't even know where it was. And any Jewish person in that time would have known uh, the verses from Deuteronomy that say that the words of God are supposed to be ever present with the people of God. In fact, Deuteronomy 6, there's a command to them. And we, we don't know exactly which portion or exactly what it was that Josiah found. It probably was a copy of Deuteronomy. And, and you go back and you look at Deuteronomy and we see that the scenario they were in where they had lost it never should have happened. Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are supposed to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. That's everything you do, by the way. When you're sitting, when you're walking, when you're lying down, when you get up, you should be talking about this. This should be on your mind. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind should be obsessed with who God is. And he says, tie them as symbols on your hands, and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Meaning every time you walk in your house, you should see the words of the Lord. It should put them on your forehead. Literally, it should have been on their minds, like literally on their forehead. They should have had a reminder of the word of God. The book of law should have never been forgotten. But not only that, for kings, she knows another place in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 17, it says of the king that when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of the law. So it wouldn't have been all of this, likely it was Deuteronomy, but he was to take that book and he was to 
write a copy personally for his own, as his own personal copy. Why? He says, taken from the priests and the Levites, it is to be with him. And he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord as God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his brothers and turn from, to the, turn from the law to the left or the right. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over the kingdom of Israel. See, the, the king was supposed to write down his own copy, have a personal copy, take it with him wherever he went. This wasn't something he left at home when he went on a business trip. This was something that was to go with him. It says he was supposed to read it how many days of his life? All the days of his life. It's interesting. You think of leaders in our world and our model for leadership. It's fascinating that God in his law commanded the king, the ruler, to read the book all the time so that he would not consider himself better than anyone else. And wouldn't it be great if the model of leadership was humility that saw that you're no better than anyone else? I mean, there's a foundation and root that God had instilled. And God said that the way in which you recalibrate your heart and remember who you really are, remember to revere the Lord and humble yourself is by getting into the book. By reading it, it reminds you that there's a God who is above you to be worshiped and that there's no one who's below you, but you're in the same boat with everyone else as someone who's called to worship the Lord. So the next thing we see from Josiah, first we said that you begin to seek the Lord and you wanna live for God's sake. For God's sake, don't lose the book is the second thing we lose. That we see from Josiah is don't, you don't need to lose the book. You need to keep it. Don't, don't throw it away. Don't put it somewhere that it doesn't need to be. Now, how exactly uh, did, did they lose it? We don't know exactly how they lost it. Most likely as kings began to ignore it, as they began to neglect it, as they began to set it aside, they stopped making a copy for themselves. They stopped following the things that, that it did. And slowly it just kind of got lost in the shuffle and they began to get fixated on more important things. Do you ever get distracted by more important things than the Bible, at least in your mind? They're not truly more important, but we think at times they're more important. And so we set aside the Bible and we, uh, we lose the book in a sense. Now, how do we lose the book? I don't, I don't think there's, I'm guessing there's never been a time where you've destroyed your Bible. I'm guessing there's never been a time where you couldn't find a copy somewhere if you wanted to. I'm guessing for most of us, uh, it's, it's after church on Sunday and we take it and we toss it in the back seat of the car and it sits there till next Sunday. And so maybe we lost it or maybe yours has a special place at home where it lives and you get home from church on Sunday and you put it on the shelf to collect dust for the next seven days and you neglect it, forget about it, in a sense, lose it for a, for a season uh, because it's not right there with you. And, and really just, you don't want it to be disturbed. I mean, it's a nice leather book. It may be the only leather bound book you own. So you wanna take good care of it and make sure that it, nothing happens to it. So you put it in a pristine place where you're not going to disturb it. Maybe we've worked up for ourselves different ideas of why we don't need the book that much. Maybe we say, I don't have the time. Maybe we say, well, I just, I don't know how to study it or I don't know what to do. Maybe it's more of a neglect thing than a lost thing. Maybe you just think, man, I'm just a lay guy. I don't, I've never been to seminary. I don't have a theology degree. I don't really know how to do this. I'll just let someone else spend the time studying it and telling me about it. Uh, maybe it's that you just have some doubts about the Bible, that you've heard some things and you think, man, I'm not sure I trust it completely. And you've got some questions. Maybe, maybe it just doesn't, you just don't feel like it works for you. 
Like you've tried it and you just, it's never stirred your heart and you're not sure exactly what to do with it. These, I think, are all reasonable things to consider, but they're not good excuses for completely setting aside the Bible. You know, sometimes I hear Christians say things, and I think it's one of those Christianese things that we just begin to say because it's like you're supposed to say it, which is, wow, I don't want to be one of those people that just checks the box, checks the box of reading my Bible all the time. Like, I don't want to be legalistic. I don't want to be just, you know, checking the box of Bible time, Bible time, Bible time, so I'm not going to do that. Can I just tell you, I was thinking this week, I literally do not know a person in our city who reads the Bible too much. Like, I just, I don't know that person. And so if you're concerned about, man, I don't want to be legalistic with my Bible reading. I don't want to check the boxes. Can I just say, check the boxes. It's okay. Just get it out every day. Do your Bible reading. Invest in it. Now, that's not enough. But did you know that, that stop reading the Bible is not really going to fix the heart problem behind you just checking the boxes? Like if your heart doesn't love the Lord, if your heart isn't seeking the Lord, if you don't feel like you're in an authentic place where you truly desire a relationship with the Lord, setting this aside and losing it and forgetting about it isn't gonna fix that problem. Stay in the word and then work on the heart and ask the Lord to do something with the heart. And that's what we're gonna see as we kind of continue to move down through this section. I think it's important for us to realize that, I mean, we need to be in the word. It's fascinating to me that the king of God's people was commanded to be in it every day so that he was recalibrating his heart to worship and recalibrating his heart with his fellow men and women. And I'm one of us, we're all in this together. And there's one above us who is our creator who's made, who made us and who we are created to worship. And somehow being in this helps us hit reset on a regular, in a regular way. And so when you get down to verse 16 to 18, what we see is what his response was as he began to read. Verse 16, it says, Shaphan brought the book to the king and further reported to the king all that was committed to your servants they are doing. They emptied the house out of the money. Um, let's skip down to verse, uh, sorry, verse 18. It says, when Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me the book and Shaphan read it from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard he tore his robes. This was Josiah's response. Is when he heard the reading of the law over him and he heard the things that were said, he tore his robes as an expression of his confession. His response was immediate contrition at what he'd heard. What did he, what did he likely heard? He'd heard everything that God had done for them. He'd heard the way that God had cared for them, the way God had called them out, the way that God had promised to provide for them and to protect them, the, the life that God had laid out before them and said, if you go this way, you'll have blessing in life. If you go this way, you'll have pain and cursing. And God laid that out in the law and said, this is the way in which the world has been made. And as he heard that, he expressed great emotions because he understood the covenant love that God had for them and he understood that they had broken it and departed from it. And so as they had walked away from the Lord, he responded to that with contrition. It's interesting, there's a pattern that you see here in Josiah's life that, he, that, he, that, that the word was read, that he reflected upon it and understood it, and then he responded to that. And he responded to it in a real way. The question for us as I looked at that was, when was the last time you heard the word of God and it stopped you in your tracks? When, when was the last time you read the word of God and you had to just reflect on all the implications of everything that it meant? When was the last time that you responded emotionally 
to something you read in the Word of, in the, in the word of God? When's the last time that you heard it, you heard something in the Bible and you immediately said, I've got to act right now. I cannot wait another minute. That's what you see with Josiah. He heard it, he reflected, he responded. And there was, there was a heart connection, emotion and affection that were connected to that. There was also action connected to that. There was obedience that was connected with his response. Now, I think for us, this really is the, the third point that, that I think we learned from Josiah. For God's sake, don't lose the book, use the book. Josiah was gonna allow the book to guide him, to direct him, to recalibrate his life and say, motivate him to do some things differently. It's easy for us to become callous to the, to the Bible. It's easy for us to come in and maybe you, you, you read a few passages during the week. Maybe you come in and you hear some verses during the sermon. Maybe we look for a little verse here or there on Instagram to inspire us a little bit. And it's like, oh, I'll retweet that or I'll repost that because that's a nice verse. I like that verse out of the Bible. I might cross-stitch that and put it over my bathroom or put it in my guest bathroom somewhere as a nice doily for everyone to look at because it's a really nice verse. But those aren't necessarily wrong. But man, do you, have you really embraced the Bible as God's word? Have, do we forget to consult it at critical moments? And do you ever face a, a decision? And is it your natural instinct to run to the word and say, man, what, what is the Bible, what does God have to say about this? What would be most honoring of God when I, in the way I would respond? Have you found any passages that, and they just become anchors for your soul? Man, in the storms and the winds of life that blow you back and forth, are there passages that you just, as you've, as you've devoted yourself to the scriptures, you just go, man, I'm gonna hold on to that verse for the rest of my life because it speaks life to me in the storms that, I, that I've walked through. Have you found those places where you see something and you go, man, there's something that God desires for our world to be and I don't see that in our world and you just, you feel compelled to, to live with a purpose and a mission to address the injustice that you see in, in our world based on what God has called us to do in the scriptures. And there's a motivating factor for you to address those things, to give to the poor, to care for the widow, to, to fight against those who are, who are bullies and, and belittling of others. And the Bible ought to be a normal part of our life. It ought to be something that we come to all the time and it's constantly recalibrating our perspective and shifting the way in which we approach life. Eugene Peterson says, God's word calls us to personal response. It addresses us. It calls us into being. The only appropriate response is reverent answering. It is always more than we are, always previous to us, always over us. See, when I, when I talk about use the book, one of the things I don't want you to hear is, I'm not saying use the book like you can control it and you put it, uh, like you put it into some mechanism where you're the one in charge of the book and you're gonna use it for your purposes. That, that's not what I'm talking about. It, but use it for the way it was intended. And the way it was intended for you is to call out in you life in the life of God. Second Chronicles 34, uh, we see Josiah shows us what this looks like. Uh, in verse 27, he says, um, verse 27, Josiah says, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, and you've humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me, 
I have also heard you, declares the Lord. And I love the fact that Josiah's heart was responsive. God says, because you heard me, I've heard you. Because you, you heard the word, you read the words, you reflected on what was said, and you responded. It was his heart that was responsive, and he humbled himself before the Lord. The aim was the heart. You know, when you read the Bible, that's really the aim that we ought to have too. That it ought to be a heart, it ought to be aimed at our heart. Uh, and, the, and the question I think that it asks us is how responsive is our heart when we come to the word of God? What we see for Josiah was this actually radically changed everything about his life. Uh, he he he's, begins to become more generous. He begins to become more committed to purity. He begins to be more committed to uh, the worship of the nations. He begins to become more committed to working throughout the nation to bring about restoration of true worship. And, and so you see Josiah's life is really changed through his response to reading the word of God. And I think that's important for us. One of the places you see Josiah did is before they opened the temple up again, Josiah gathered the entire nation and he came and said, just as I have now read the law, I want you all to read the law. And so they read the entire law to all the people of Judah. And as they were gathered there, there's a great phrase. And when you get down to verses, uh, verse 30, a great phrase that I love here. It says uh, that he read it for all the people from the least to the greatest. And that's, that's good news for us. And when you think about the, the, the gospel invitation to connect with God through his grace and his mercy, one of the things you see here is people that had wandered and gone astray are invited in. And Josiah brings the ball in. He says, from the least of these, from the least to the greatest, every one of you has an opportunity to come under the word of God and under the kingship of God and under the lordship of God. And that's good news for us. Wherever you are, what it means is no one needs to be left out. That everyone can use the book. Everyone is invited to, uh, to seek the Lord through his scriptures. And so wherever you've been in life, and whether you consider yourselves one of the greatest or one of the least, whether you consider yourselves the most faithful or the most faithless, you're invited to come into and under the word of God. But one of the things I think as we hear this, um, you probably sitting there going, okay, Jeff, got it. We should be in the Bible, right? Uh, but, but sometimes I know that that can feel intimidating as well. One of the things I want to encourage you, Josiah, this did not happen overnight for Josiah. We're talking about a 23-year period of time that's transpired. Josiah's been through a process. He's been on a journey. He's been learning about what it means to grow. And so uh, let me shift gears as we think about what does this mean for you in this moment as we head into a new calendar year? As we head into 2019, what does this mean for us? Can I share with you just one priority and one practice for, that we learned from Josiah? First, the priority we see is in Josiah's use of the Bible. What was the first thing Josiah did? He sought God. He began by seeking God and then he learned to use the scriptures in order to enable and empower his seeking of God. He starts by desiring a relationship that honors God. And so as we get into this, I know it's easy, as, as I said at the beginning, to kind of feel this as a guilt trip. It's just, you need to spend more time in the word. And if you don't, you're not really doing what you ought to be doing. But let me just say, there's some bad reasons for trying to read the Bible or study the Bible. One of the bad reasons for studying the Bible is guilt. Saying, I, I'm not a good enough Christian because I don't, I don't read the Bible enough or I don't know the Bible enough or I'm not committed to the Bible enough. And so out of that guilt and that kind of external pressure, I'm gonna dive into Bible study. That's a really bad, unsatisfying reason 
to study the Bible. Another bad reason is out of status, that maybe you've got Christian friends and you go, man, when they say something and I don't feel like I know what it is they're talking about, I feel like an idiot. And so I'm gonna study enough that I can feel like I can have conversations with everyone around me and I can feel good about my Bible knowledge. And that, that's not really gonna satisfy you either. Another one may be that, and you've got, you've got a class and you gotta go teach a group of kids back there and you think, man, I don't know anything. I better just study something so I got something to say today and get through the day. I'm glad for study there. I'm not sure that's the most life satisfying answer for studying the Bible. So what I'm saying to you is I don't want you to feel just a pressure to perform, a pressure to do more, a pressure to, uh, to, to just kind of pull yourself up and, and muscle through and be more aggressive in your Bible study. Ultimately, there's, there's, a, there's a have-to thing that sometimes we feel, but the invitation of Scripture is really for you to come and, and to spend time with your Heavenly Father who wants a relationship with you. And that's a get to, not a have to. And if you're coming to the word out of a have to, then it's not gonna produce good fruit in you. It's also not gonna produce joy in you. It's not gonna produce a hunger for more of the word in you if you're coming from a mere have to. But when you understand that, that coming to the scriptures is a get to, that you get to spend time with the Lord, that it's an invitation to become a true listener, so what I know about a lot of us is we, we've heard a lot of the words of God that have been spoken, but have you ever received it as the word of God to you? The word of God that comes to you personally. The word of God that was written with, with, with you in mind because God wants a relationship with you and God wants to stir your heart and God wants you to live the life he created you to live. I think it's important for us to recognize that's the goal. In fact, Jesus had the same conversation with people who were Bible readers in his day. In John 5, Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but it is the scriptures that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. There's a progression that takes place there. And Jesus is saying, look, you're searching this, trying to find the rules to navigate life. And you think if I find the rules and I crack the code and I do all the right things and I do all the right stuff and I follow the religious rituals and I do everything just right, it's gonna somehow produce the life that I'm looking for. And Jesus says, that's not where the life is found. He says, in fact, all of this points, it, it points to me. It's talking about me. And when you come to me is when you find life. And so when we come to the scriptures, my encouragement to you is do what Josiah did. Don't just come to the scripture saying, how do I reform the nation? Or how do I lead my family better? Or how do I become a better this or that? But come to the scripture saying, I wanna seek the Lord. I wanna seek Jesus. I want to find the life that Jesus offers. And when we come to this from that perspective, I mean, it changes our mindset and go, this isn't a have to, this is a get to. I get to find the life that God wants for me. And the scriptures tell me it's found in Jesus and tell me how it is that I'm to find my way there. So the priority is seek the Lord in the scriptures. Don't just seek to clean up your life. And secondly, there's a practice that I wanna, I wanna mention today. And it's a practice we pick up from Josiah. It's read, reflect, and respond. Friends, one of the things I know is there's so many tools out there and one of the most overwhelming things about, 
about living in this day and age as a Christian is there's so much information overload out there. There's so many apps and so many tools and so many programs and so many things and so many study Bibles and so many devotionals and so many podcasts and so many this and so many that. And what I want you to hear from me today is we don't want to make this more complex than it needs to be. We actually want to make this as simple as we possibly can. Uh, we, we've put some resources out there. We've got some Bible reading plans that are on the blog, and maybe you don't know where to start with your Bible reading. And so we put some plans out there that just tell you, and here's some passages where you can start. And so you may want to get out and find one of those and, and look at that. We've got a Be Trained workshop coming up in March. Where we're going to we want to resource you and put some tools in your toolbox for you to come in and just learn how to study the Bible. We want to equip you to, to do that. And so we've got some resources that are coming your way. I mean, my desire for you more than anything else is that you would learn to sit down with a Bible, maybe a glass of water, or if you're like me, maybe a cup of coffee, maybe a pen, maybe even a journal, but that you would sit down with just the Bible and you would just read it. And you'd reflect on what it says. And then you'd respond accordingly. That you'd read it, you'd reflect, you'd respond. It's a really simple thing. Can I make a promise to you? If you commit to seek the Lord and you read this book, good stuff's gonna happen. God stuff's gonna happen. Change is gonna happen because God promises that he will meet you there. So sure, be, be smart. Like have a plan, have a time, have a place, have some things that you do to get in the word. But get rid of some, all the extraneous stuff and just have some moments where you sit down and it's you and it's the Lord and it's your willingness to, to meet him there. And I promise you good stuff's gonna happen. Let me pray for us. Father, as we enter a new year, would you stir our hearts to, to want to seek you? Would you stir our hearts to want to get into your word? Would you make us a people of the word who are devoted first and foremost to the God who made us, to the God who saved us, to the God who is with us in the spirit. Father, you cause our hunger for you to grow and our devotion and trust in your word to increase. Father, for, your, for God's sake, amen.